You're tuned into the October Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. October Recovery Podcast, Episode 18. I'm here with my friend Ken. Um, actually, we just came from a meeting, and that was pretty heavy, right? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 See, I I enjoy those meetings where they talk about where somebody speaks about mental illness because I have it in my family. Yeah. And when I heard her talking about that today, like I love the honesty that somebody can bring to a meeting like that and and share that, um, you know, the mental illness part of it because let's face it, I mean, I think it goes hand in hand with the disease. Yeah, and to be able to speak. And not be judged in front of a, a, a room full of people that you don't know. So found me, somebody can listen and say, yeah, they can talk like that and not be judged. And not be judged and say, wow, <laughs> you know? it's That's a beautiful thing about the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I met you. I was uh, maybe five, six months sober. And I was at the Beverly meeting on a Sunday night. And you shared something you know a speaker spoke and you it's a meeting where somebody speaks and then you can raise your hand and share and i was i was i was attracted to what you had to say i don't remember what it was but this is what i do remember i come up to you after the meeting and i had i had to like introduce myself to you i i needed you to know me (laughs) (laughs) and i was telling my buddy this so I, I I went up to you and I and I you know I said Kenny you know this blah 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 I'm AJ I'm trying to get sober and and um you know thanks for like sharing so, you know I really um something you said like stuck with me I said something like that and you patted me on the shoulder once and you said you're doing good kid keep coming and and I and I was like that's it. <laughs> like, do you know who I am? 
<laughs> like, I need you to know me. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I left that night and I was kind of like, he doesn't like, well, what was that all about? Like, he's supposed to say, AJ, welcome. You, you, you're doing great. Blah, blah, blah. And, and then, you know, but that was me. You know, that was my yeah. ego yeah. and stuff like that. And I saw you the next couple of weeks, but it was funny. That was the first time I met you. But that's how I thought. No, well, of course you did. Of course you did. You, uh, like I always say, when you first come in there, uh, nobody comes there on the wings of victory. Nobody. And, you know, expecting, well, uh, you know, I'm kind of special here right now. Now, wait a minute. You're supposed to pay a lot more attention to me than than this. Exactly. And and, and, and the time thing, you know, just keep coming is is uh, what I heard for an awful long time. And, uh, and basically the, the secret of AA is uh, the... Number of meetings you go to, uh, the correlation between the number of meetings you go to, and the better you do and feel is it's not by accident, you know. And like I said, I've never seen anybody walk through the doors the first time, and say, "Geez, uh, you know, I got a pretty good life, but uh, uh, I think I'll get sober." Your life's in shambles, either physically, mentally, spiritually, legally, financially, uh, sometimes a combination of all five. And you sit there and you're so wrapped up in yourself and tying up loose ends and this and that and the other. I, I really couldn't hear too much the, uh, the first time because, you know, because uh, I struggled with this for this disease for years, for many years, you know. And uh, and you come in here, you finally, a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know, I've always born, I was born a, a square peg in a round hole. And you come in here and you listen to the people and uh, all of a sudden you find a room full of uh, square pegs. <laughs> right. And you right. finally find, uh, you know, uh, you finally meet people that are just like you and you remove the uniqueness. You don't think anybody ever drank like you did, thought like you did, acted like you did. And you hear some of the most important words you'll hear in AA is, yeah, me too. Some of the most important words you can hear when you first come here is, yeah, me too, because it removes uniqueness, you know? Yes, exactly. It's funny that you say that because this girl who spoke today, she got, um, she went to a institution and she was locked up Yeah, for yeah. three months. And she spoke about how she loved to be locked up. Yeah. And when she was saying that, the 100 people or 80 people that were in that room today, I looked around and all their heads were nodding. And I thought to myself, it's official. We all need to be yeah. locked up. It's the me too. <laughs> yeah. We all need to be locked up. But so, yeah. So tell me about that. You you mentioned when you first came in, just a little bit of background about you and, and how you're, you know, you, 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 let's hear a little bit about your story. Background. Yeah. <clears throat> Unlike an awful lot of stories I hear in AA over the over the many, I've been sober over 31 years, hmm. and I've heard of so many stories. I, I always say I came from a very dysfunctional Irish Catholic family. They didn't drink. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My folks didn't drink. They didn't smoke. I couldn't have asked for two finer parents. Hmm. You know, whether you come from a good family or a bad family is not why you're an alcoholic. It can set the stage, but it's not the reason. You know, many Many, many people come from uh, alcoholic homes who are not alcoholic, you know. Uh, and uh, I, I grew up, uh, I had two brothers and a sister. Two of us ended up alcoholic, two didn't. You know, and I've, I've stopped questioning a long time ago where and where it came from. I got it, what do I do with it now, you know. Uh, growing up, um, I had ADD, ADHD, CBSP. I had, I had everything, you know. Uh, and that's not why I'm an alcoholic. 
That's not why I'm an alcoholic. Going through school, and my other two brothers weren't much better. You know, uh, going through school, uh, I was, uh, you know, you used to hear when I was a kid, you grow up with the three R's uh, you, about school, reading, writing, and arithmetic you hated. I added three more R's, rules, regulations, and responsibilities at an early age, at an early age. And, I, and that caused an awful lot of trouble. And I was constantly getting in trouble at school. I got thrown out of Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, CCD, Sunday school. And this is before I picked up a drink. This is before I picked up a drink, you know, and uh, and time went on, you know, and I, I never got into, I, uh, uh, you know, uh, Little League or school sports, and not because I wasn't athletic, but there was rules, regulations, and responsibilities. And I had better things to do after detention, you know. Uh, I basically, you know, about 14 years old, uh, I didn't start really, there was no booze in my house, and my grandparents didn't drink. You know, and there was, so there was no booze, and uh, you know, so I didn't get a chance. And uh, but at 14 years old, I discovered a pool hall in downtown Beverly, and that's where I grew up. I grew up in a pool hall. Okay. About 14 years old, and I have no regrets about that. You know, about 15 years old, uh, so one of the guys got an old junk car, and there's a dance coming up, and we decided to give this liquor a try. I probably had sips of something, this and that, off and on, maybe over, you know, earlier on, but. Uh, so, you know, uh, we decided to get some uh, some liquor. <laughs> so uh, my father did keep a couple of bottles way up in the closet for uncles who came over who did drink or for Special, holidays and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I and I filled a, a Coke bottle with uh, this whiskey called Four Roses. And we all went down to where people parked and party back then. And I, I took a long pull off it and I'm waiting and... Took another long pull. You know, the anticipation, I had no idea what was going to happen. And about 15 or 20 minutes later, it went from my stomach and shot up to my head. And for the next 25 years, I always say the cuckoo was out of the clock. <laughs> you know, I, lo I loved it. I, I, I didn't black out. I grayed out trying to figure out what's going on. You know, you hear an awful lot <clears throat> now. It, it, so many people, that you know, they picked up fear, doubt, insecurity, feeling less than... I didn't have a lot of that. I didn't have a lot of that. Uh, I didn't drink to be popular. I was popular in school. I didn't drink to dance. I could dance. I didn't drink as I was shy. I didn't, you know, you put me up in front of the class. It was showtime. For me at that time, to be truthful, it made a good time better. Hmm. That's what it was for me. I, it, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not minimizing fear, doubt, and insecurity. Sure. But I, I just didn't have that. Show me a teenager who doesn't have some form of it. But I didn't have a lot of what people talk about today or, or drinking saved their life. And, you know, obsession and compulsion weren't words in my vocabulary then. But as I, as I, as I look back now, I had the mental part of the disease right from the start. I couldn't wait to do it again. You know, that mental obsession with booze kicked in right off the bat and... I, now it became part of every weekend, every school dance, every football game. I hit the ground running with this thing. I hit the ground running with it. You know, I did fairly well in school in there, and I had a pretty good IQ. And uh, everything went downhill from there. You know, uh, I was constantly getting, uh, you know, if he'd only work up to his potential. Mm -hmm. How many of us out there have heard that? If he only worked up to his potential. Mm -hmm. You know, but... Uh, it just—it was just insanity for a long time, and I hit the ground running with it, you know. 
and it went on for 25 years. Hmm. You know, a lot of trouble. Do you have any questions? No, I, I, I'm, no, I, I love it. I love it. Just keep, keep, keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. 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 Well, t- and when I do have a question, I will ask. Trust me. Yeah. Well, and and time went on. You know, <clears throat> like I said, I just I just barely squeaked out of high school. And believe it or not, I got a job where I worked for the next thirty six years. Right, you know, and uh, actually, thank God for unions. <laughs> and and I had a job. Now I had the job. I had my high school sweetheart, and uh, we got out of high school. You know, I and we we decided to get married. I never, I always acted on impulse, to be truth with you, and I still do to this day sometimes. But I, I, I always, I, you know, I didn't think of it. We were both kids. I think I was twenty one. She was nineteen or twenty. So. We were just kids, you know, and uh, we decided to get married. And we got married, and we got a little place, and she didn't drink like I did. And uh, then she started to realize, you know, we'd go to parties and stuff, and then she started to realize that this party never ends. And, you know, this thing just keeps on going, you know. And uh, I should add that uh, I started drinking in bar. Things were a lot different back when I was drinking, uh, you know. Uh, I was drinking in bar rooms when I was about 17 years old, and I loved the bar rooms. Okay, that was your scene. I loved bar rooms. I loved the clicking of the pool balls, the clanging of the pinball machine, the yeah. smoke, the fights, the bullshit. I, I liked it all. Yeah. You know, the action. I just needed the action. Yeah. And uh, I was constantly chasing, too. You know, I, some, some people only had a con of bar they drank, and I took my show on the road. I had a I had a gang in Gloucester I drank with, Beverly, Danvis, uh, you know. Oh. I, I'd have two or three drinks in one bar, and I wanted to be on the, at the next, the, ch- the chase. Yep. Chasing what? I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. But uh, but constantly running, you know, and uh, like I said. Sometimes uh, the chase is, is more fulfilling than the, than putting, oh, putting the, the shit down your throat. And actually, when I put down drink uh, for the last time, that's one of the things I missed was the action. Sure. I'm saying, boring. You know? Well, you know, it's like when I, when I think back now at, at my addiction and toward the end and when I was in the throes of it, my favorite part was walking into the liquor store. Yeah. Literally walking in was my highest high. Yeah. And looking on the shelves because I felt power. Like that, I had power to have whatever I wanted. Yeah. And then my drinking was just, you know, people call it a symptom. I've never, like, I don't really know it that, but I don't really say that. I've never really said that, but I guess kind of it, it was at that point because my real highest high was the rush of walking in oh absolutely yeah and at the end of my drink as this disease progressed um you know i i had to get you know drink and you talk about that and i remember going into the package store early early in the morning and the shakes were so bad i had to drink i had reached that point where you know there was no just uh, you know i was totally addicted to alcohol mm-hmm. and the shakes would be terrible i'd go into the package store and as soon as i got that pint and got into my car Without even taking the drink, the shake stopped. Wow. Yeah, you know, interesting. The mental part, you know, Lionel's got his blanket. He's going to be fine now. You know, I, I had that. But that was towards the end of my drink. There was a lot in between from that. But I, I, I know the feeling of walking in the package mm-hmm. door. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say they went to different package stores so they didn't. I didn't. You know, I drank past embarrassment. 
I drank past that. Okay. You know, I, I'd go in there shaking like a leaf, Hannah, because they knew what I wanted and I know what I needed. And wow. there was, you know, I had drank past the, the embarrassment part at the end, at the last years of my drinking, you know. And, and time went on, you know, and um, we got married and stuff. And then the, the Vietnam War was going hot. And I should add, about six or seven months after I picked up my first drink, outside the pool hall, there was a couple of guys that were stuffing the stuff in a pipe. And uh, I said, what the hell are you guys doing? And uh, they said, we got reefer. Now, this is a long time ago. Late uh, 60s? Uh, uh, 1963. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, before the Vietnam War. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm yeah. sorry. Yep. And uh, this was at the cusp of uh, the beatniks were going out. The hippies were just coming in. Okay. <laughs> You know, so, and I, I should add that, that drugs were a, a big part of my, you Same. know. But, and you and know. that's the beautiful thing about this yeah. is we could talk about drugs here. Yeah. Um, I should say, you know, that's why I I mentioned we're not, you know, affiliated with AA because I respect no. I, AA got me sober. Yeah. Exactly. Love it. Yeah. And it is Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't mind when people tell their story and say drugs were part of it. That's fine. I wouldn't even mind if somebody, for me, I don't mind if somebody in AA tells their story and talks about Coke all the time. For me, I don't mind that. But I do respect the traditions of AA. So my point is here. Well, it doesn't really. Okay. If you read, if you read stories in the big book, there was a, they actually changed the name of the story, the story of the same, Dr. Addict Alcoholic. There are an awful lot of stories in the big book that mention drugs. Sure. Yeah, yeah, including Doctor Bob. Yeah, oh, I, I understand, but I'm I'm just saying. Yeah. Oh, I some of the I, yeah some of the old timers they get they 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 take what's the word I'm trying to offense. Yeah. When yeah. when drugs are talked about and if it's and, part of your story, it's part if, of your story. If, 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 but if it's a big part and you talk nothing else, no, you know. But what I was and gonna, that's how everybody's different. So for here, we could talk about drugs all yeah, we want. Well, see, and basically with me is when I was at the circus, I went on all the rides. You know, uh, uh, drugs were a, a not a big part, but I did a ton of drinking without drugs, but I never did drugs without drinking. There you go. You know, uh, uh, most of it, as I look back now, was either to enhance or remove the effects of alcohol. That's a great line. I never did drugs when I wasn't drinking, but when I drank, sometimes I did drugs. Yeah. I, I alcohol did. Was, was it. It was always there. Always there. And but it's uh, you know so that's part of that and, and that went on and it was yeah. the '60s and yep it was made for me or they made it you know uh, and you were working in the union yeah and it, so and, and then, you would get in trouble and the union would cover you well uh, not early on but as this progressed like I said this is progressive disease you know and uh, I guess it was about '68 or '69 the the Vietnam War was going hot and heavy and there again I acted on impulse I decided to join the service I don't know. There was nothing patriotic about it or anything else. I just I just joined the service, you know, and basically I drank from the government for the next four years, you know, and I, I joined the Air Force and I, I, I did get an awful lot of trouble in the service. All drinking, all drinking. I got a lot of trouble. And uh, I had two beautiful kids in the service, a boy and a girl. And uh, my drinking really started to, you know, it, basically most people drank in the service back then. I mean, and... Uh, you know, I, I should add one story. I remember uh, my wife was pregnant with my son, and I got a call that um, that she was in labor and she was in the hospital. But the doctor said, uh, it's okay. It's going to be a while, so take your time. Well, that's the worst thing you can tell an alcoholic is to take your time. It's going to be a I went and got a box of cigars, and I went to the bar that I was drinking at, 
And four hours later, I show up at the hospital, you know, delivery room, and they ask me to leave. That's the stuff that croaks you later on. Yeah. That's the, you know, but I, I have to put the blame where it belongs. I didn't know. Uh, once I put that first drink in me, I'm no longer in control. Takes on a life of its own. Rational thinking goes right out the window. And there's no question whether there's going to be another and another and another. You know, uh, it takes a long time to get rid of that shame and guilt. But I do have to put the blame where it belongs. I, uh, I don't put a drink in me. I don't do those things. Bottom line. It's all, and, and time and on. And we uh, didn't know that then. <laughs> no, of course like, I didn't. Like, that's the pisser of the disease. Is <clears throat> we don't want to do that. I mean, you wanted to be there when your kid, when your kid was you born. Of course you do. And, uh, and, and time went on. And then I, I got a lot of trouble. And uh, <laughs> uh, another one with drinking. And they looked at it. And they, uh, they said, something wrong. So they sent, me <laughs> they sent me to a psychiatrist. They said, there's something wrong with this young man. So they're looking at it. And they found it. You know, he's got a very hyperactive young man with a severe drinking problem. So in the military intelligence, they put me on a big prescription for Valium. And they happened to have an AA meeting on base back then. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, that's pretty good. Now I got the booze and the drugs. Mm. And I, uh, this was 1970. <laughs> yeah, I was born. 1970, they, saw, uh, they sent me to my first meeting. Uh, I had a, uh, they sent us to 20 weeks. And I'm going to their meeting there, and there's a bunch of old, old sergeants. And they're, Sonny, Sonny, your problem is this big. And I'm thinking to myself, no, no, no. My problem is i got to listen to you losers for the next 20 weeks. That's, what, that's what I was saying. Too young, having too much fun, you know. And, and you knew it all. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know. And then, uh, oh, I should add, I, I got orders to go to Vietnam. Uh, and then about two weeks before I was set to go, they canceled the orders. And I went in and said, what happened? Because I didn't get, really give a damn one way or the other. And uh, my brother was over there. And he did his year up. And, uh, and then he decided, he volunteered for a second tour in Vietnam. You know, and uh, there was what they call the Sullivan Act back then. Two brothers couldn't be in the war zone at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, you know... He, I didn't have to go to Vietnam. I often tell people, I says, so the only war stories I have is there I was surrounded by empties. That's the only war <laughs> stories I had. And uh, about six months before I got out of the service, my wife had had enough of my game. And I don't blame her. I don't blame her. She left and she came back to Beverly. And I did out the rest of my tour. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, a spark of responsibility hit me. I said, Jesus, you, you, you know, you got two beautiful kids. You got a beautiful wife. You're going back to your old job, but it was a good job. And uh, I said, you got to try to make a go of this. You know, and I truly, truly meant it. I truly wanted to do the right thing, you know. And I got out of the service. I went back to my job. And I'm, I'm, me and the wife talked back and forth and decided to give it another go. And, I, and we did. I came back and I behaved myself. I didn't hit the bars. And personally for me, I was just drinking beer at home. And to me, that was controlled drinking. Okay. Just drinking beer at home and behaving myself. And then my younger brother, who happened to be the other alcoholic in the family, he got out of the service and I started tying in with him. I started hitting the bars again. Good time, Kenny's back in town. Just a matter of time. And, and the show was on. And the show was on. And I, I went to a lawyer. I came home one day. I threw some papers on the table. I went and got a tent some clothes, my fishing gear, and I went and lived on a campground in West Gloucester for two weeks till I found a place. Wow. Now, 
Did I do that? I didn't do that because I didn't love those kids. Mm. I didn't do that because I didn't love my wife. But you reach a point in your drinking when nothing becomes more important than the drink of, than the next drink. Nothing. If you are an alcoholic and you continue to drink, it will take everything near and dear to you. You know, but I could I didn't see that then and I didn't know that then. And time went on. The next ten, eleven years were the wonder years. You know, I roamed all over the place, you know, uh and it's it's tough to look at your drinking when everybody around you is doing the same thing. You you don't know anybody that doesn't drink, you know. Yeah, uh, you don't know any any different. No, you don't you don't know any different. And and, and and trouble, trouble, trouble. You know, uh I had all the car accidents, the emergency room visits, the uh, alcohol seizures, courtrooms, arrests, PCs, all the stuff that not every alcoholic has to have that. You can drink yourself to death at the kitchen table. But you know, it, it, mine progressed into that, and it was just trouble. And I lived all over this county, and I ended up, I ended up with a very, very good job. Actually, I, uh, <laughs> I built and tested development jet engines, and I was making damn good money. But uh, it didn't make a difference how much money I made, you know. And and I should add that uh, you know, if if you are out there and you have young kids and stuff, and you're wondering, I missed an awful lot of two absolutely beautiful kids growing up. Don't get me wrong. I got them sometimes. I'd show up drunk. They're not going with you. I missed an awful lot of that. And that hurts to this day. But again, like I said before, would I have done that if I wasn't drunk? I wouldn't conceive of doing that stuff. Of course not. I've had, you know, I've, I have put the blame where, it, uh, where it lies. I was an alcoholic. And that's not an excuse. It's a reason. And it still hurts to this day. Mm -hmm. But at least I, you either have to live with it and not, you know, the, <laughs> What I always say is, because if I pick up one drink, my past will become my future. Mm -hmm. That's that's the basic thing, you know, and, and time went on. You know, like I said, I lived all over this county, and I ended up at a point where I was living in rooming houses, mm -hmm. making making damn good money. You know, a bunch of us would uh, rent a house, so we got thrown out, or I'd live with somebody for a while, shack up, in other words, for a while. So was it, was it you didn't, so I'm thinking right now, you're, you're making money, you're whatever, 30-ish years yeah, old. Yeah, 30, yeah. How come 30. you didn't, like, try like try to get an apartment or buy a house that just wasn't didn't make sense to you. every time i went to went to my lifestyle and i and you know i should add over the years when i pulled some real beauties i would show up at aa yeah i would come to aa off and on you know after i pulled a real beauty and it wasn't to quit because that was inconceivable i gotta slow down i gotta do something about this oh that's it was to slow down yeah you know and because uh, i bounced i did bounce in and out for years yeah. and then and time went on, and I remember I was, they always give these these Roman houses these quaint little names. I lived in one called the Tunny Poo Inn. That was another dump. <laughs> and then I was living in one called the Sea Breeze. It was across from Dane Street Beach. Yeah. And it was a Roman house, and I was living there. And um, Right on the water. Right on, <laughs> oh yeah, think that, see, this is beautiful. Right you have the, the world water. by the balls. It, it was a dump. Ocean view. And then somebody somebody torched the place in the middle of the night. There was 10 or 12 people living there. Mm. And luckily I wasn't. I didn't uh, get too drunk that night, I guess, because I, I woke up and there was smoke coming underneath the door. Eesh. And I'm hearing, don't come down the stairs. And uh, so I threw a chair through the window. That was on the second story, and uh, I jumped out the window, of course, and I'm, oh. I'm sitting across the street, and I'm watching this place burn. And this place, nobody got hurt. 
And I'm watching this place burn, and I'm sitting there. It's about 2.30 in the morning. I'm sitting on this big rock watching the place go up. And a friend of mine rides by. Only we have friends riding around at 2.30 in the morning, right. by the way. Yeah. And he pulls over, and he says, Kenny, weren't you living there? I goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, Jesus, look at that. He says, you want a beer? I goes, yeah. yeah you know, uh, these aren't isolated incidences. This is a day in the life of a drunk. Wow. This is a day in the life of a drunk, and time went on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I met another girl in a bar. Mm. Where the hell else am I going to meet him? You know, and she asked to borrow $15 for an ounce of pot, and we fell in love. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and she did drink a lot like I did, you know, and uh, yeah. we got a place, and we, we had time went on. and We seek them out. We, oh, we yeah. We seek out people who are like us. Yeah. And she you know was, what's funny, though? Like, not funny, but... As an alcoholic or an addict, it's easier to find people who are like us than, like, when you're not. Well, we're not going to meet him at a church social anyways, you know. <laughs> no. you, you know what I mean? Uh, and she was a good girl. Yeah, and, yeah. And time went on. Yeah. And, um, it, it just got, like I said, the, the insanity continued. Mm-hmm. You know? And then my drinking, um, really, my bro- that younger brother... The younger brother of mine, we got a car. I was living in a tiny little cottage up in Essex, way out in the woods, way out in the woods. I loved it up there. Nobody looking. Oh, look, here he comes again. Uh, we got a call. It was in June. <clears throat> and my younger brother had overdosed on booze and drugs. It had happened before. But I decided we should go up there, and you know, because I, I said, he'll be all right. So we go up there. My mother and father are up there, and my other sister and brother. They, they live close to the hospital. And... Um, I was waiting. Now, here's, here's some of the insanity of this disease. I looked at my watch, and it was 20 minutes to 11. I didn't have anything to drink. So I said, I'm going to go get a coffee. And I went down and got a, a, a quarter, quarter bourbon to get me through this. And I told them to go home because they live close to the hospital, and I would stay there and call them if I you know, heard anything. Sure. So I stayed there, and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting, and one of his friends happened to show up. I don't know how the hell he heard about it. And um, he happened to be a paraplegic because he had fallen off a porch while he was drunk. So I'm checking on uh, with the, uh, every hour with the doctor, and, um, and then I would go down to the car, and we're passing the bottle back and forth. Now, that's the insanity of this. We're doing exactly what put my friend in the wheelchair and put my brother up in ICU and we're saying he's going to be all right. That's the it's insanity. Be okay. The absolute insanity of this disease. And I went up about five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, and the doctor pulled me aside, and he said, uh, he's not going to make it. There's nothing we can do. And I, I don't know. I figured nobody should die alone. So I went in there, and I held his arm and his shoulder until the oscilloscope went straight. And a big part of me went that day. We were very close, even for brothers. You know, and he was, uh, he was six foot three, Two tours in Vietnam. One of the funniest guys you'd ever met in your life. Got most humorous in high school. He didn't have an enemy in the world outside of himself. And he was dead at 35, you know. And like I said, a big piece of me. And, you know, after that, that, that I knew I was an alcoholic. Don't, you don't get up in the morning and have to gag down a half pint to think you're a social drinker. But uh, the uh, I like to call it the total apathy had set in. Hmm. The next four years was absolutely brutal. I mm. just didn't give a damn. Mm. This is my lot in life. I'm going to die a drunk, and who cares? Mm. And time went on, you know, and time. And and, and then I, I, there, there again, I'd still pop into AA once in a while, hoping to hear something or whatever, you know. Yeah. 
and things got worse. And then the detox. I why do you think you went? Why do you think you went to a meeting once in a while? Did I don't you want know. to try and fool people to think that you? No, were, no, it I wasn't, wasn't like an to, angle. No, no, there was no angle. You know, there was no angle. Just maybe because I had friends that had gotten sober, and they kept telling me, "Why don't you stop by?" You know, they hmm. and and I would, you know. Uh, but the I, message wasn't. It, yeah, I knew. You know, like I said, the total apathy was setting in. Yeah, you know, uh, knowing you're an alcoholic is not enough to get you sober. Mm. It's not enough to get you sober. What What do you need in addition to that? I don't know. Hmm. If I knew that, I could make an awful lot of money. Mm. And then the detox, uh, this marriage, why should it have been any different than the first? It was getting bad. And actually, and, and your world does get smaller and smaller and smaller. I mm. used to love the bar rooms, raising hell. There was no fun. I had drank the fun out of booze. There was no fun left in, the, in a drink of booze. None. You know, and uh, I, I, I drank in one bar once in a great while that, one dive in Beverly, you know, where flies went to die, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, and it just got worse. And then, it, like I said, your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It was just me, a bottle, getting home, drinking, you know, and, and, and repeat, repeat. And that total uh, uh, feeling of uselessness. Mm. I never thought of suicide. A lot of people, probably half the people here thought of suicide. I never thought of it as as a gun to my head of jumping off the bridge, but I had no illusions that I was going to die. I, I, I knew I was going to die a violent death so somehow. I, you know, there was just, I, I had no illusions that I was going to be sitting in the nursing home in a rocking chair belting down a couple of nips. I, you know, I had no illusion of that. You knew you were going to die a violent death. And I, and I, somehow, there are many, many ways for an alcoholic to die. None of them are peaceful, none of them are pretty, and you're usually alone. Mm. You're usually alone. But, I, you know, like I said, the total apathy was setting in. And I, then the detox are started. Now the union's getting on my case. The company's getting on my case. The wife's getting on my case. Everything starts to cave in. Everything starts to cave in at the end. You know, and I, I was in and out of detoxes. And, uh, you know, some people say, I, oh, they, I didn't, you know, at work, they didn't know I drank. I drank. They knew I drank. Where's Kenny? Always gone for another 30 days, you know. And... Yep. And and just it just got terrible at the end, you know. And um, what was I, it? did you care what they thought when you got back? No, 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 I did not. No, uh, like I said, embarrassed. Did you? Did you? Were you to the point where you? Because I was to the point where it was like a badge for me. Like I could drink a lot. Oh yeah, and I would be. It was like part of my identity. I could drink a lot of high alcohol by volume beer, and I loved. Like I thought that made me cool. Oh, like, yeah. I thought that made me, like, that was part of my identity. Yeah, you drink back. And at the end of my drinking, at the end of my drinking, um, it was funny. The damage, oh, my health was absolutely brutal, too, in and out of doctors and stuff, you know. And doctors tell them, if you don't do something about your drinking, please get another doctor. No. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. And it's funny, at the end, end of my drinking, towards the very, like the last year or two, um, I could, there'd be days I could drink copious amounts of alcohol. And then the next day, I'd have two or three drinks, and I'd be totally drunk. Hmm. You know, the damage you do to your liver, you can only process so much. And it, it went on, you never knew. One of those drinks had a hammer in it, and I never knew which one. Wow. <laughs> I never knew which I one. Didn't, I never. Jeez. It, that's scary. It, it is scary. Because you go from controlling, like you know exactly where to get to. 
how much to drink to get to where you want it to not like being. And you don't know. It, wow, one of those drinks could have a hammer. That's crazy. And I, I didn't, at the end of your drinking, that's, that's a damage you do to your system. And you can only process, so the liver can only process so much. Sure. You know, and uh, in and out, like I said, of the detoxes, emergency room. Jesus, I'll never forget one time. It was, a, I was on a, I was, I would go on what they call lockdown in a room by myself, you know, you know, uh, and just dr drink around the clock for two or three days. You know, a friend of mine called it lockdown. And one of the, I did that one of the times, and it was Sunday morning. I had an alcoholic seizure. So the wife called the the, the ambulance, and they brought me up to the hospital. And um, I was in the emergency room, and they shot me up with B12 and Therazine. And the doctor come in and looked around and took my vital signs. And he looked at the wife and uh, said, this is nothing but total alcohol abuse. And he stopped, basically stormed out. And I, I don't get mad at that. See, a lot of times all they see is the end results of alcohol. They see this on a daily basis. And I can see why some of them get pissed off. I really can. Sure. And I was in there for four or five hours and a kind nurse came in, and she says, geez, you were in you know, pretty rough shape. She goes, how do you feel now? I goes, oh, I'm feeling a lot better, you know. And she says, <laughs> that poor thing. She says, you know, we have a detox upstairs, and you could definitely use it. I, I You know, it'd be a good idea if you, you know, went upstairs. And I says, oh, no, 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 that's okay. I says, I just got out of one five weeks ago. I says, you know, now, here comes the real insanity part again. I'm on the way home. And I still had the heebie-jeebies. I was still got the shakes. And I says, well, I'm going to just stop and get a half a pint mm. to take off the rest of the edge. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pay for it. And I looked at my wrist, and I still had the hospital tag yeah. on my arm. That's the insanity of this disease. Like I said, knowing you're an alcoholic is not enough to get you. So if you walk through the streets of Boston, you can see the total apathy. Those people don't want to be there. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Yeah. I go into Boston, I'll carry a pocket full of quarters and stuff because I give a half, a, and people say, you know they're going to drink with it. They have to. Mm. If you don't keep, a lot of people don't realize, if you don't keep boozing them, if they don't get medically detoxed and you don't keep boozing them, you can die from the withdrawal of alcohol. That's interesting because one thing, and it's so true, and, and people, <clears throat> my sister isn't an alcoholic, but she listens, my sister Julie, and she's interested, Like she, and it's so cool. Like She yeah. loves to hear these stories. And so people who don't know about the disease will maybe learn something from this. I learned just what you just said. A lot of times when we go to help somebody who's very sick, mm -hmm. and it's called a 12-step a, a call, mm -hmm. oh. we go help people who oh, yeah. are, are drunk and can't help yeah. themselves, and we try to get them help to a detox or whatever. People have told me that they bring liquor with yes, them. Yes, I do. And I, I have said, done that. What? Yeah. And they say just what you said. You have to because it can be a very, very, very serious situation. They go into seizure without it. I heard that from the old timers when I come here. If you go on twelve step calls, have a couple of nips or something with you, and it's happened. I've I've been on a numerous twelve step calls, and I've had people go into a seizure. Thank God, I was only about a half mile from the hospital in my car, go through a seizure, and I I. Me and a couple of friends have walked in. On uh, if I can get somebody to come with me, I, I yes, they always say that. Suggested, right? but sometimes one or two o'clock in the morning, you can't. Yeah, 
And I, I've walked in in situations, and you just call 911. Mm. I brought people to the emergency room. They had them in ICU in 10 minutes. Wow. You can die from the withdrawal of alcohol. And Jeez. a lot of people don't, you know, you don't reach that point, but you should always be prepared for that, you know? It's because, so that's part of the program. I've never been, I've never had that call made to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And I like to think that, you know, I'm going to answer that call because this is, I've learned that this is what we do. Yeah. Um, but that must be, does that happen? Do you think, is that still like happening? Has that happened to you recently? A 12 step call like that in the middle mm -hmm. of the night or? Uh, not for about a couple of years. Okay. Not for a couple of years. The first one must be crazy, Kenny. Well, scary. If, if I'll continue on with my story and I'll, I'll tell you why it isn't scary to okay. me okay. personally. All right. And, and, and time went on. We'll get back to that, you know, um, yeah. in and out of detoxes. And then I had gotten an injury at work and I was out of workman's compensation. And uh, I was living in a little tiny, tiny, we were living in a little tiny apartment on uh, the Essex River in, in Essex. And uh, I was out of work, and I went to the doctor, and is there any pain with this? Oh, yeah, doc, I got pain. I can't eat. I can't sleep. To get the Percodans, you know, the pills and stuff. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then I decided, well, Jesus, you're going to be out of work for four or five weeks here. Just, you know, take a couple of Percodans and, and get a little half pint and sit here and watch the boats go by and enjoy this. And I did that for a couple of days. and But then... This is a progressive disease. You know, the half pint went to a pint. Mm -hmm. The pint went to a fifth. And I said to myself, this is insane. Mm -hmm. This is insane. Uh, not the drinking, the running back and forth to the package store. So I went and got a bunch of half gallons, a bunch of them. And I went on what I've called lockdown. Mm -hmm. And I was in the apartment and I started drinking around the clock. I would wake up, pour a tumbler, pass out, wake up, pour a tumbler, pass out. I lost all track of day and night. About the third, everything I'm telling you now was told to me. Mm. And the third day into it, I guess the wife said, I'm not going to sit here and watch you kill yourself. And she left. And I continued on, I guess. And then I guess I had called my mother. And I don't know what the hell I was saying to her. And she called my wife and she says, you better get up there. And she, uh, you know, she came in and this was, I think, five days into it, six days. And I was on the couch. I was in my skivvies. I had cuts and bruises all over me from bouncing around this place. And my lips were bluish gray. Alcohol poisoning was setting in and uh, there was blotches all over me. And, and she thought I was going to die. And she called a friend of mine who had been trying to help me for a couple of years. He would take me to meetings and stuff. The old timers back then, you know, uh, he'd call me up and say, Kenny, come on, let's go to a meeting. I goes, Larry, I'm drinking. He goes, nobody needs a meeting more than you. Yep. The old timers, you know, back then would tell you that. And uh, well, anyway, she called him and described the condition. And Larry said, he just may die. Mm. So this is how what they call the fellowship, how it works. It was a, a, a rainy night on a Tuesday. He had to go to work the next day. It was about a 100-mile drive. They finally found a bed up in New Hampshire, and they, they got me up there. He thought I was going to die on the way up. He did not think I was going to live. And I came to the next morning. I was in restraints. I had tubes coming in and out of me. I had absolutely no idea where I was, how I, I knew it was a hospital, but I had, I didn't know if I was in a car accident, stab, shot. I had absolutely no idea. 
you know, and there was a kind nurse there, and she was holding my hand. She goes, you're going to be okay. And uh, like I said, my physical condition, uh, I was 250 pounds. I had the same pair of old chinos on for about a week and a half. I had a month growth of beard. I looked like I crawled out of a friggin' box car. Yeah. That's my physical condition. You know, and I, was, I spent three days in the, uh, in the detox section, the hospital section, and um, on the third day, I rose again from the dead. No, mm-hmm. I wanted a cigarette, and they said, you can't smoke in here because of all the oxygen tanks and stuff like that. And this is why I'm speaking about my story now. This is what keeps me here. They gave me one cigarette and a book of matches. And there was this long corridor down to this lounge. And I'm walking down to the lounge and I'm I'm barely I'm bouncing off the walls. I can't put two thoughts together. And I got down to the lounge and I'm still still three days later I'm still shaking like a leaf. And I went through a half a book of matches and I couldn't light my cigarette. And the kind guy came up and said he had a lighter and he says, Here, you need a light. Now, every alcoholic at the end has a defining moment, every one of us, and it's different for everybody. Personally, for me, it was, I was 40 years old. I was in my third detox in about six months. Now, at this time, I didn't know if I had a job. I didn't know if I had a wife. There was just absolutely nothing left in me, total emptiness, and I said, and you're 40 years old, and you can't even light a cigarette. That was my defining moment. And my decision then was either try to, there was no bright lights coming through the window or anything else. My decision then was either either drink yourself to death or try to get sober this time. Hmm. And, you know, the de- don't get me wrong, detoxes are all at night, but, you know, it, it, something clicks and it's diff- that's different for everybody too. Sure. And, and I went through and I, I, you know, I came back to uh, AA and... <laughs> I was broke. I was in debt up to my eye. Like I said, no one comes here on the wings of victory. Mm-hmm. It, life was in shambles. It was, it, you know, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And every fiber in my body was screaming for a drink. And I'd say to myself, you've been here a, 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 dozens of times. Why do you think it's going to be any different? My, this is my head working. Why do you think it's going to be any different this time? Why don't you just drink now and get it over with? But something just kept me coming. Or somebody would talk to me and take my mind off of me, you know, and, and I just kept coming, and I should have had the one time, about 10 or 11 months in, into this thing, I was going to meetings as much as I possibly could because I didn't trust my, the worst kind of trust you can have is people don't trust, is not trusting yourself, and the worst kind of fear is fear of yourself, mm. you know, I, 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 you know, because I wanted to drink on a daily basis, I wanted to drink, and then about 10 or 11 months, the bills did start to get paid. I did get a, start getting a relationship with the kid. Everything was feeling good. And it was a warm day, and I took the doors and top off the Jeep. And I'm riding down to Newburyport. It's about 75 degrees, feeling great. And then I started, I went past some of the old haunts I used to drink in. And the obsession hit me. There's a huge difference between obsession and desire and romanticize. There's a huge difference. Sometimes I get down the islands watching them drink. They think, my goodness, oh, I'd love to have one. But that obsession is that gut thing that you aren't going to make it two minutes right. without a drink. There's a huge difference. And the obsession hit me terrible. Mm. And I went by another place. I And this is the power of this disease again. 
the mental thought of a drink, I started to shake just mm. like I was drinking, just like I did the, in the morning. I started to physically shake and, and sweat at the thought of a drink. Wow. And I didn't know what to do. This was before cell phones. And so I went down Plum Island up in the dunes, and I, I remember what they told me here. They said it had passed. They told me this would pass. They to it was almost like I'm up in the dunes saying, they told me this had passed. They said it had passed. And I kept, it was like a mantra, and I don't know how long I was saying it, and it did pass. And that was the first time ever that I never gave in to that complete, total obsession. That mm. was the first time that ever happened. And so when, and I use that one as, as a, a touchstone. I use that as an example. You got through that one. Yeah. You can get through, and then the next and the next and next. I haven't had the obsession to drink for many, many years. The design romanticized will be with me till the day I die. Sure. I am never going to look at a cooler full of Poland Springs like I look at a cooler full of Budweiser, and that's the way it is. And I can laugh at myself. I Same. still, I still got this in spades, and it ain't going away. But it's a, you know, you can laugh at yourself. Right. Right. You know, I get down the island. I, I travel a lot now in cruises. And, and there's another thing. I used to travel the world from a bar stool and knock it past Salem Willows, for Christ's sake, you know. And I get down, and they light up the square, and the steel bands are playing, the margaritas the size of bird baths. I say to myself, I would love to join them. See, a part of me is always going to want to join them. That's why I go to meetings on a daily basis. And I can laugh at myself. Yeah. I can laugh at myself. Yeah. You got it. You got it in spades. Mm -hmm. And, t and time went on, you know, in three years sobriety, uh, like I said, I got a real good relationship with my kids. My son came to live with me six months into sobriety. And then uh, three years, my, my father died suddenly. And if I could be half the man my father was, I'd be a good man, you know. And he died of an aneurysm. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I could be there for the family. I could be there for my mother for the next 17 years. And, and, and time went on. And then um, nine months after my father died, my mother-in-law was dying. And uh, my son, I taught him how to fish, and he became first mate on the Yankee fleet in Gloucester. And he loved, he was going for his 100-ton uh, captain's license. He was, he was a real day brightener, real good kid. And he called me up. He says, Dad, you want to go fishing? I goes, yeah, but I want to stop and see Ma up the hospital first, uh, and then, you know, then we'll meet afterwards. And he goes, okay. And I was up in the um, ICU waiting room waiting to see my mother-in-law, and two nurses came in, and they says, uh, are you Ken? I says, yes, I am. I thought they were going to talk to me about my mother-in-law. And they said, we just brought in your son downstairs from a motorcycle accident. And I said, how is he? And they said, he's dead. I was all alone. This was before cell phones. And... Uh, I don't know. I went in. I went into this non-denominational chapel. I got on my knees for the first time in 25 years. And who and what I pray to is not why I'm here. And I asked the God. I always say, even to this day, when I pray, it's to whom it may concern, because I don't know. And I just asked, you know, to keep me sane and keep me sober, you know. And uh, and I wanted to drink. I wanted to drink. You know, some people. I know fr uh, friends of mine. And people I know that have lost children, they didn't even think of a drink. And that's a miracle. But there's another miracle. <laughs> I wanted to drink. I wanted to drink in the worst way. I got sober for this. My mind's going, you know, this is, but I didn't have to drink. And that's the other miracle. 
no matter, you know, uh, I and the people, the fellowship took on a whole new meaning then. They surrounded me, and I went and talked to people who had lost, I know friends who had lost two kids and didn't drink. I, Gil and, and Johnny, I, and I went and talked to people that went through it. That's what, that's what we do. There's, there's nothing that anybody's going through that somebody else hasn't done it, done it sober. And, and I got, it's not something you ever get over. It's something you get through. And uh, it was tough, you know, it was tough. But I got through it. You don't have to drink no matter what. There are no reasons to drink. There are 10,000 excuses, but there are no reasons. And that, that marriage I was in after 14 years of drinking progressed to the point I couldn't stay, you know, um, and, and I left. And it was, it, it, she's sober now, but, you know, I just couldn't. And, and, t- and time goes on. You know, uh, nine years ago, my mother died suddenly. Six months later, my sister died suddenly. About five years ago, yeah, five years ago, my only daughter had stage three breast cancer. I thought I was going to lose her. And, uh, you know, what I'm trying to say, I actually, I've been retired for 17 years. I got a beautiful little cottage on the, on the, uh, on the salt marsh, you know, uh, I have, you know, I travel. I, I, what I'm trying to say is I've had incredibly tragic things happen to me in sobriety. I've had incredibly wonderful things happen to me. And either one can put you out there. Either one can put you out there, you know. Four, four years ago, I was on a cruise in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I had a heart attack <laughs> in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And I made it through that, you mm. know. You know, um, I go to a meeting on a daily basis. AA gives you the right to find your own path to get sober. You know, one of the traditions, uh, number one, they have a tradition that says, we never say must in AA. There are no must and there, and there are no rules. You know, everybody has a different path. As long, you know, and uh, I always say that the preamble answers about 90% of the questions. The only requirement for you be there is a desire to stop drinking. And thank God it said that because I had the desire, but I didn't have the means. I was done with alcohol long before it was done with me. But I kept coming under any and all conditions. I've had half pints fall out of my pocket at meetings. You know, uh, I've gone there drinking, you know. And uh, and the old times back then were just, it's okay. Just keep coming. Mm-hmm. Just keep coming. Mm-hmm. I, probably the only thing that saved me was perseverance. That's probably the only thing that saved me. And I, like I say, I have no idea what flicked that switch the last time. Mm-hmm. There, there are steps and they're suggested. Everything's suggested, you know. And our primary purpose is to stay sober. Mm-hmm. And primary to me means everything else is second place. Yep. And in and, and that same sentence, and help another alcoholic. And that's what I try to do on a daily basis. That's what's very important to me. That's how this whole thing started. Was, there was one person that was going to drink. Uh, Bill Wilson was wanted to drink. He was in a hotel, and he was two or three months sober. He wanted to drink. And he found somebody, Dr. Bob, who was struggling like hell, and he couldn't stop drinking. And he found, Bill found out by try, by helping another alcoholic, his obsession to drink ended. And Dr. Bob finally found somebody that understood what he had. He'd never talked to anybody that had what he had. That's how it started. One drunk talking to another. Mm-hmm. That's how it started, and that's how it works best to this day. Mm-hmm. And anybody out there listening, I hope you you, you find a path. And if... And if you keep going and, and you pick up, I'm not. it's not suggested, it's not required, but the main thing is just keep coming and hopefully you can outlive your disease. Absolutely. I love what you said, you know, you talk about Dr. Bob and, and Bill, and I've said it before, like, 
geez, they just got it right. Like, thank God they got it yeah. right. Yeah. And, and you know, you say one drunk talking to another, and look at us. So me and you yep. in a garage on a Saturday yep. talking to each other. Who just came from a meeting. Just came from a meeting. <laughs> and hopefully this conversation between us two will be heard by somebody who needs it. Yeah, exactly. That's and, and that's it. There used to be, you remember John the Eye work? Uh -huh. We mentioned this guy, John the Eye. He started coming in 1946, and he used to say the simplicity of this program is baffling. <laughs> right? The simplicity is baffling. There's so many people. That, that, that's what happens if you come long enough. I realize I stand on the shoulders of giants. <laughs> The it's people true. who came. And I'm here because of everybody that came before me and everybody that came after me. 100%. That, you know, that's why I'm here. You know, I, I, and I go to a meeting on a daily basis. You know, a lot of times, that came out of the detoxes years ago, by the way, the 90 and 90 and stuff. Yeah. I'm over 31 years sober, and I go to a meeting or two every single day. You know, not because I have to, but, you know, yeah, well, yes, I should say. Uh, it, but, you know, I, I just, it's become part of my life. Yeah. And you know, I, I like I said, I try to help another alcoholic. I always extend my hand to a newcomer. You do, I see it. You know, and um, that's how it all works. And uh, you know, uh, God bless you. And there again, you don't have to believe in God. There's pamphlets out there. You know, I know people with 50 years uh, that are atheists. You know, uh, that there's no requirement here that we're not a member of any sect denomination. That's right. Some people come in here with the wrong concept. It's a cult. It's a religion. It's it's no. Uh, our primary purpose is to stay sober. That's right. And we all come in here with different beliefs or non-beliefs, you know. And it has non nothing to do with whether you can get sober or not. Nothing. Right. Non-judgmental, here to help. And I've found that um, helping somebody else brings a joy to me that you can't, you just can't pay for either. You know? yeah, yeah. And it brings, it's healthy it's part of, you know, it's like eating right, little exercise, helping others. And it's just... getting out of your head. Right. And getting out of your head. I always say, I, uh, when, I, when I do speak, I always say at the end, you know, I don't go to AA because I can't drink. I go there because I can. That's why I keep going. I've seen people 25, 30 years pick up a drink. And 90% of the times you'll hear what happened, they got away from meetings. When an alcoholic gets away from meetings, who the hell is he listening to? He's listening to a chronic alcoholic, and the right set of circumstances come in. One of three things can happen. Well, Jesus, listen to the stories. I wasn't that bad. Oh, Jesus, it's been a long time. I think I can handle one or two drinks. Or, which would be in my case, you know it's going to take you to the gates of hell. You know it's going to suck, but just say the hell with it. Mm. You know, one of those three things happen. Yeah. You hear it all the time. You know, yep. I, I just, you know, you don't get away. You're listening to you. Yeah. I can't listen to me. To this day, I can't listen to me too much. Oh, no. You know, isolation. There's a huge difference, too, between isolation and being comfortable with yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a huge. I, I try to walk three or four miles a day, and I get out in the woods and along the beach, and, and you know, I, and I, I, I love it. It's absolutely, you know. But I got to be careful. I become one with Thoreau and forget about AA, you know. Yeah, right. You know, but there's a huge difference between that isolation, what we call the sheet therapies. That's isolation. Mm -hmm. And you listen to you and it's dangerous. Yeah, it is. It's dangerous. You have to you have to um, let people I say, you know, go when you go to a meeting, raise your hand and just say even if you just say your name, that's going to give somebody there the Thanks. opportunity to come up to you after a meeting 
hey, John, hey, Kenny, hey, AJ, you know, how you doing? And it's tough. It's so hard for somebody brand new to to raise their hand and, 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 you know, because they have no idea what's going on there. No clue. But if you can, that that's my suggestion. If you can do it, if you can muster the guts, and that's all you have to do. Yeah, I mean, come, come, and then if you come a couple times, say your name. Say your name exactly. You know, you yeah, know? and and because I can look around the room and I, after I speak, and I can't tell if somebody got twenty minutes to twenty years, right. and we can't help if we don't know. That's right. We can't help if we don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's a room full of people in there who want to help. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is perfect. This is great. Yeah. You're full. You know, I, I love your stories. Um, I see you help people. I'm really grateful that you would swing by today and give me some of your time. Oh, absolutely. And there it gets back to this is what this is what we do. Yeah. This is what we do. And take this they take this disease out of the shadows. That's one of the that's one of the big things that, you know, that's what I that's my part of my motivation. Getting it out there. Like, I don't, you know, I, I put my name out there. People know. I, you know, people, at first, I, did, I didn't want to tell yeah, people. Oh, yeah, I know. You know, don't get me wrong. No. I'm totally for anonymity. Sure. It, it, absolutely. But sometimes, I, in my head, I'm thinking, take this thing out of the shadows. Remove the stigma. Yes, right, right. <laughs> but, but don't get me wrong. The anonymity is extremely important. But I don't get you so, wrong. The stigma that's out there, you know, people oh, people are going to know I'm a duck. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, 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 it's a little It's improving a, from what it used to be. It is. But it's got a long way to go yet. It has a long way to go. I understand. Sure. A new, I, yeah. I totally, you know, that's the tradition of the program. Exactly. I understand that inside, you know. But for some people like myself, you know, I put it out there to, you know, like I'm on Twitter. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a digital. Yeah. And I will tweet things alcohol related. This guy has something good to say. People know I'm, 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 I'm an alcoholic. And that's, I'm okay with that because I, yeah. I, I tell my kids, you know, this is, you know, in, in in the genes, I think, you know, you may be more likely if your parents are an yeah. alcoholic to become an alcoholic. And there's also their friends who may run into an issue years down and they know, yeah. well, Mr. Butler, age it, you know, maybe I can go to, you know, I don't have all the answers, but maybe somebody will come to me if they're in need. If I had all the answers, I wouldn't be going every day. <laughs> and, and people, I should add, if somebody's listening to this, people wonder, you know, where does it come from? Uh, what is, and I, I, I struggle with that. I says, is it physiological? Is it psychological? Is it environmental? You know, I grew up with non-alcoholics. You know, is it in your genes? It was in my genes, all right. I always had a half pint there. But, uh, but then you start to realize it really doesn't make any difference where the hell, it, you know, you've got it now. What are sure. you going to do? It's like having cancer or any other, you know, where it came from really doesn't matter once you have it. Now what do I do with it? You know, so if you're out there wondering, how the hell did I get this? Well, you got it. Yeah. And, and you know, and settle with it because, you yeah. know. And there is a solution. And there is a solution. Exactly. Thank there is a solution. Yeah. Kenny, thanks a million, man. Oh, you're very welcome, I love Jay. to talk always, to you. It's always been a pleasure. Seeing you and hearing you too, AJ. Yeah, man. You've, you've helped me a lot from the beginning, from that beginning meeting in Beverly. Everybody. <laughs> so. That's a beautiful thing, and God bless everybody out there, if you believe. <laughs> either, either, yeah, either way. Yeah, either way. The, I mean, the, the, yeah, I mean, 
Whatever works for you. What, yeah. Whatever you know, works for you. As long as you find your own path, yep. and AA gives you the right yeah. to find your own path. Yeah, yeah. Come on down, talk to us, and uh, hopefully, hopefully we can help, but there is a way out of it. Yep. There's a way out. Thanks, man. You're very welcome, AJ. All right, buddy. Nice catch.